Well, we're glad you're here today. Thanks for being with us. Last Sunday, we kicked off our series, Call Me Crazy. And uh, we, I talked on a topic that I'm pretty comfortable with, talking about men. And actually, last Sunday, we had over 50 people indicate salvation uh, as, as a result of being here just at this campus. So we're excited about that. However, as our series continues today, I'm talking about women. And I hope you've noticed I'm not a woman. <laughs> and so I'm not nearly as comfortable with this topic. I've been married for over 30 years to Pam, and I still haven't quite gotten it down, uh, figured it all out yet. And now we actually have six granddaughters who are eight years old and under, and I think I may be even more confused now about the whole topic. So, but luckily, uh, it's not just me. I, I've, I've got some pressure on me today. Uh, actually, my brother, my youngest brother, Monty, is in the house right over here. He just retired teaching, and he's launching a ministry with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, specifically targeted to leading coaches to Christ and, and then also challenging them to point their students to Christ, so he's, he's got that going on, and because he's here, my mom is here with him. I mean, pressure's on, and so she's sitting over here. Dorothy's her name, and um, of course, you, I would, I would never tell you how old she is now, but next month, she's going to be 93, so, uh, and then also is my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, Sherry. She's with us. And I won't tell you how old she is today, but no, no I'm not even going there. But, uh, but anyway, it's, I got, I'm feeling the pressure. I mean, I've got a daughter here, a mom here, a sister-in-law, and a wife. I hope I get this right. Okay, so uh, we'll see. I, I'm feeling it. But fortunately, we have God's word to instruct us. Uh, it's not just Kevin up here talking, so here we go. And I'll start by saying, you know, our culture has kind of gone off the rails on this topic, and our culture now is banging this drum that men, there's no difference between men and women. That's what they want you to believe. There's no difference between men and women. I don't know if you caught our intro video there just a couple of minutes ago where they were doing kind of man on the street, and, and this guy's asked, can men have babies? And did you catch his answer? Yes! Yes, men can have Babies, our culture is so resistant to God and God's word, they will believe in the impossible to make it not true. Um, they're, they're totally rejecting the unique way that God has created men and women. Giving birth to a child obviously is a gift that God only gave to women. And it's weird that you would even need to say that, but today that actually needs to be said. So last week we learned about the crisis of manhood today and how God called men to be strong emotionally and also morally and courageous and to be alert and to do everything, everything in love. And that when men, when men step up to be who God's called them to be, that everybody around them 
flourishes. And we talked about that there are forces in the world that want to destroy masculinity. But there are also forces in the world that want to destroy femininity. And really the whole structure, the traditional structure of the family. So a lot of times when I prepare for messages, I'll try to read, you know, what's the other side saying about this stuff? And I read an article just a few days ago as a fresh article. uh, And it was a, a feminist writer who was complaining that her, maybe her, but some of her friends had reached a point in their life where they kind of decided to do something they didn't think they would ever do, and that is get married. But then they were complaining that there were no suitable, worthy, or respectable men to marry, which just kind of struck me as odd because as activists, it's like they've spent you know, years and years tearing down men and masculinity And then when they decide, oh, you know, I think I might do the marriage thing, then they're complaining, where are all the men? Well, the culture is is destroying men. There's a a new move. I'm curious to know how many have heard this because I just found out through my study this week and and I just stumbled across it. How many of you have ever heard, heard of this new movement happening right now called Trad Wife? Anybody? Trad Wife. There's a new movement happening where it, it's not uh, necessarily a Christian movement, although there's Christians in it. It, it. It's from people of all cultures and walks of life. It's a new movement toward being a traditional wife. It, it's a movement of women who are saying, yeah, we know all about feminism. We think we would have more joy, more purpose, more meaning in life to be a traditional wife, trad wife. Check it out. No, don't check it out. I don't know what all this stuff is. That's just, I just know the surface level there. But, but we actually need to turn to our designer to find out and understand who women are designed to be. And so the first thing there, of course, is that women are made in God's image. And so we'll start with the first verse that we started with last week. And that is Genesis 1.27 that says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now you'll notice he, he kind of bounces from the generic use of man, mankind, and then the specific use of man, man versus women. Male and female, he created them. This is a massive truth that our culture rejects today. Gender is binary. That's what Genesis 127 is saying. Gender is binary. Male, female. Two choices. It's not LGBTQ plus, plus, plus. That's just not true. Now, we get that all different types of people want to do things that, that God tells us is wrong sexually and act out in different ways. And there's plenty of heterosexual sin as well. We, we get all that. But if you're sitting here with two X chromosomes in all the cells of your body, that means you are a female. And if you're sitting here with XY chromosomes, you are a male. 
There are easier ways to find that out, but if you just know that. And, and transurgery does not change what's in every cell of your body. That doesn't change that. Call me crazy, that doesn't change. And so we're at this point today where we're supposed to pretend that we don't know somebody's a woman until she tells us her pronouns. You know, it just, it does not make sense. Or we, we're supposed to pretend when she tells us or he tells us that there's some other pronouns, obviously not male or female, that they're ascribing themselves to. Hey, that we have to go along with that. It's crazy. God created men and women equal, but yet distinct. Equal, but yet distinct. And actually, both men and women are essential to portray the full glory of God in creation. That was the final act that made creation good. Women are different, and it's not just physical between men. It's, it's not just physical differences. That's proven scientifically. There's a lot of ways that's proven, probably the most common way uh, people do that a lot of times with humor. So, you know, they, they point out that men speak an average of 7,000 words a day, and women speak an average of, do you know it, 20,000 words a day. Women, have you noticed this? Guys, have you noticed this? Oh, maybe you guys haven't even noticed. Yeah, there's a huge difference. Women speak almost three times as many words a day. And I know some people would push back on this. They would just say, oh, well, that's just social. Those are just social constructs that creates men to be quiet and women to be more talkative, and that, that's the difference. Okay, well, then why do six-month-old girls have an average of a 95-word vocabulary, I'm sorry, 16-month-old girls, have an average of a 95-word vocabulary, and 16-month-old boys have an average of a 25-word vocabulary. At 16 months, a, a, a girl's vocabulary is almost four times greater than a boy's. Now, even saying that, there's a difference in how you interpret that. Most guys in the room are going, oh, that's interesting. Or, or they've already fallen asleep. Or, but the women, most of the ladies in here, here's what they're doing. They're going, hold it. I have a child 60 months. I don't know how many words they know. When I get home, I need to check to see how many of the words they know. I need to know, are they ahead the curve or behind the curve? Because you know, I could be working with their words. I could be getting them up there. Who knows? They might be falling behind right now. I haven't even checked that. I don't even know how many words. It's that. That's a difference between men and women. Have anybody noticed that? All right, because you didn't notice the word thing, so I'm trying to get you on board. All right. Be. We're equal and distinct. Of course, we know as Christians that men and women are equal because we're charged by non-Christians, oh, that we don't think that. Of course, we know men and women are equal. But the reason that most of the world believes that men and women are equal is because of Jesus Christ. It's because of the rise of Christianity. And you can see that 
Because a lot of places around the world who don't have a Christian foundation don't believe that even today. And so we can see that in other parts of the world. Saudi Arabia. Up till just two years ago, women couldn't even get a driver's license. Today, women can't get a passport by themselves. They can't choose who they want to marry. In Iran, who's, who's funding all the terrorism in the Middle East, or most of it, in Iran, women can't even go to soccer stadiums to watch a soccer game. Why? Because they haven't been impacted by Christianity the way other countries have. Before the rise of Christianity in the Roman world, the ratio between men and women was 145 men per every 100 women. Now, I've always heard that the natural birth rate is just slightly higher men to women, maybe 101 to 100, something like that. But the Roman world, before the rise of Christianity, 145 men for every 100 women. Why? Because when they had women babies, often they would put them out to what they called exposure. They would just put them out in the street and let them die because they weren't male, because they deemed males were more valuable than females. But that all changed with the rise of Christianity. That stopped because of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Of course, in America, there's a different war going on against women. And we see it happening every day. Planned Parenthood now gives out testosterone on a first visit. And depending on the state, they will absolutely give it out to minors. Testosterone, first visit. Double mastectomies, or top surgery, as they call it. For, and, and what do they call that? Gender-affirming care. Anytime you see that phrase, gender-affirming care, something twisted is happening. They do top surgeries, are readily available, don't necessarily need parental approval, again, depending on the state. And we're living in Ohio where issue one just passed, which is probably going to protect everyone who's influencing your teenage daughter to do the same. We'll protect them. By law, they're protected. Not your daughter's. The people influencing your daughters to mutilate their bodies, they're protected. Issue one, that's what's coming. God provides a model of godly womanhood in Scripture. We look to God's word. Women are distinct from men, we get that. Equal in value, we get that. But how are they distinct? We see that in Scripture. And of course, the most popular place to find that or the most well-known passage is probably in the Old Testament in a book called Proverbs, chapter 31, the last chapter of the book. Now, when I say that, some might kind of think, oh, whoa, whoa, Proverbs, wasn't that written by Solomon? And didn't we learn that Solomon had a whole bunch of wives? So let me get this straight. We got this old ancient guy that had a whole bunch of wives telling us today how women and how wives should be. 
Not exactly. First of all, we don't know that Solomon wrote this. Actually, the writer of Pro- Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs. But in Proverbs 31, the writer of that chapter self-identifies as King Lemuel. And so it starts this way, Proverbs 31.1. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. Okay, that puts a little different twist on it, doesn't it? So King Lemuel, we actually don't know exactly who he is. Probably somebody who's been lost to us in history. But what we do know is that his words are inspired by God. Some people speculate that this could be King Hezekiah. Some people speculate that this is indeed Solomon, but he's using a pet name that his mother gave him as he was growing up. And if that's the case, then the mother we're talking about here would be Bathsheba. And so, again, there's no evidence for that. That's just speculation. But either way, whoever this King Lemuel is, it doesn't matter. This is advice from a godly woman led by the Holy Spirit and written down by her son describing a virtuous woman. Now, the chapter starts with instructions for her son that aren't about women, instructions to be pure sexually, to avoid alcohol, speak for the voiceless, give justice to the poor, because he's gonna be a king someday. That's her advice. But then in verse 10, there's a shift And from verse 10 on to the end of the chapter is actually a poem and it's structured in such a way that each line begins with one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet and it does that subsequently. It's the A, B, C, D. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and each line begins with the next letter of the alphabet, a structure that we don't notice in English. And so this is the ABCs of a mom instructing her son on what to look for. So because of that, it applies to women, but this actually also applies to men. You know, because it's what you should be looking for. Now, it's the virtuous woman. Now, there's a problem, and the problem is that many men aren't looking for a virtuous woman. They're looking for a virtual woman. And they're looking to screens to find her, and their hearts polluted by virtual images. Real women aren't 2D. And porn, men primarily, porn will mess you up. It will cause you not to honor women the way you should honor women, and it will cause you not to honor your woman, your wife, the way you should honor her. But we're not talking about men right now. So now, verse 10, her advice, her advice, the mother of King Lemuel, begins this way, led by the Holy Spirit. Starts like this, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. This is actually like a rhetorical question. An excellent wife. Who can find her? Eh, Rhetorical. Almost nobody can. Why? Because she's so precious, so valuable, so difficult to discover. And and by the way, I I don't want to be on men here, but just one more quick point for guys. 
What's the point here? Single men, you should be searching for a godly wife, a virtuous wife. And when you find her, pursue her and initiate your relationship by asking her out for a date. A date is when two people, just two people, not a group of people, two people, a man and a woman, single, go out and get to know each other a little bit. Ask her for a date. Hey, guys, do this. Step up and do this. What's the worst thing that could happen? There's only three things. Basically, she can either say no, okay, now you know. Or she'll say yes, bingo. Now you're gonna find out more about her. Or she'll say, let me think about it. But the point is, take a risk. Step up to the plate. Why? Because a godly, virtuous woman is priceless. That's what God's telling us. All right, we're continuing now. Verse 11. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She is trustworthy. Woman of virtue, the wife of noble character, the excellent wife, she is trustworthy. Her husband trusts her completely with everything because he has discovered that she's committed to him for the distance, for life. And she'll do him good their entire life. Verse 13. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Wool, flax, that, that's a plant. And, and wool that you use to make thread, which you use to make cloth, which you use to make clothes. So making clothes. And it's hard work. And, and we're going to find out later that this is a woman of some means but she's still doing manual labor. She's still working hard in her home and she doesn't resent it. She has joy in it because she knows she's providing for her family. Verse 14, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it was still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. So, here we see her, she plans, she buys food, she's at the marketplace, she's getting the delicacies, the hard to find stuff, the healthy stuff, you know, that's coming to the marketplace, she's making sure that her family eats well. And this is a big job. I, I remember, since my mom's here, I remember when I was a teenager, sometimes we would go to the PX, which was a, a grocery store on base, and sometimes I'd go with her because she got some, so much groceries. I mean, like two full carts of groceries just to help her carry it. And my job when I went there was to go get a cart and go to the milk section and load the cart with 16 half gallons of milk. So eight gallons of milk, that's what, that's what we drank. And so I would load that and help her with other stuff, load in the cart. That's just a lot of stuff for our family. Monty, that was mostly you. And then this week's Thanksgiving. I'm amazed at how much work putting together a Thanksgiving meal is. Every year I see Pam do this. It's just amazing. So and I'm always thinking I should help. And Pam's always thinking I shouldn't help. 
like, so just, so the last few years, I've been, I've been talking to Pam and saying, Pam, let me get one of those deep fryers for the turkey. You know, the big cans and you fill them out with oil, you get that stuff boiling, and then you drop the non-frozen turkey like into it. And you could, you know, we could have turkey in like 30 minutes or something. She's still not quite there yet, but I'm getting closer. I was just talking to her a couple days ago. We have a few more days. It could still happen, but I don't want to interfere because when I'm in, when I'm helping inside, it's like, hey, Kevin, you know I could do this quicker if you weren't here, right? And then she cooks for two days. I'm, I'm thinking this is probably the same in a lot of your houses. She cooks for two days. She puts an amazing spread together. The family comes over. It's all ready. We have prayer. We start eating. And in like 19 minutes, it's done. And then, whenever he's done, she breaks out dessert, serves dessert to everybody, and then we're all talking and having a great time and eating dessert, and then pretty soon, that's done. And then, when every single plate, dish, cup, glass, utensil, pan is dirty, every single one in the house, then the guys get up and go watch football or go just rack out somewhere, and, and the ladies... You know, it's just like, it's just a mess. And then my wife will start cleaning everything up. And so I'm starting to learn more how to help with that part of it. She, she doesn't mind the interference with the cleaning part, so I'm a little better at that. But we should be thankful for our wives that want us to eat well. So any of you guys, are you getting to where you can help with the cooking? I'm not quite there yet. Anybody else? Anybody do the boil the turkey thing? I got to learn from you, man. I got stuff to learn. We'll continue. Verse 16. The virtuous wife. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. That's kind of some old words there. I got some images. You know, we see these from colonial days, or like wheels that people are sitting at. But back in the day, it was just basically two sticks. You know, that you're you're pulling that that uh, that wool and making it into thread, which then you could make into other things. So, what she's saying, she buys, considers a field, and buys it. She's a smart businesswoman. We didn't know how big a plot of ground, but she, she buys a piece of ground and makes it productive. She's industrious. She's a hard worker. She sees her work is good. She catches it. Hey, I'm doing good here. And then this, her lamp does not go out at night. Usually they always kept a lamp on at night. This is like a Hebrew phrase that a lot of times just meant she burns the midnight oil. You know, she's always at it. She does what it takes. Verse 20 says, she extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's generous. She helps those who need help, who can't make ends meet. She's there for them. It's the same thing that men are told to do in the New Testament. We're supposed to work hard and earn enough that we can not only take care of our family, but that we can share with others. 
Next verse, as we continue, says verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet and gray. All of them. Which this says a lot. So enough, enough said. Actually, that word scarlet is a word, you know, that, that would be sort of the expensive color of clothes back in the day. But this word has, carries another meaning, which means double or two coats or double thickness. And that kind of fits the context a little bit better. Uh, so that could be. You know, it, it's, it's the wife usually making sure that the family's well-clothed. I have a grandson named Weston. And he's in, is he in kindergarten or first grade? I, I can't remember. Anyway, he's, he's little, all right? No, he goes to school. He's just new in school. And he's, he's got all his, all his clothes. They've been cleaned. He's set to go. He's having a good day at school. But then something starts bothering him in his leg. And he reaches down, you know, and it's, it's bugging him. And he can't get rid of it. So finally... During school, during class, he sticks his hand down his pants and then grabs it and he pulls it out. It's a pair of clean underwear in front of his whole class. And then he's little, he's little, but he knows, hey, at school, this is not cool. So he sees what it is, he's surprised, and then he shoves it back in his pants. I mean... Some of us are more than well-dressed. We have more clothes than we know what to do with because mom takes care of us. Verse 22. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's not only making sure that her family is clothed well, she's also making sure she is clothed well with style, linen and purple or Style. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What's happening here is this is implying that she brings community respect to her husband. She's known in the community, and because of that, her husband is more respected. And not only that, she's managing her household in such a way that it frees up her husband to take the seat in the community at the gate where they do judicial issues and business transactions and you need leaders there and he's able to be there. And he's respected in the community and, and the reason is a lot of that is because of her, that he's there and that he's respected. And let me just say this, ladies. Men need respect. Your husbands need respect. Respect from the community is great. Mostly, your husbands need respect from you. New Testament says the exact same thing. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Talking about her industry, her hard work, her skill is apparent to other people. And her character, though, 
is strength and dignity. And because of that, she's prepared for the future. She's ready. She's planned it out. She's provided. Verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And here she's a teacher. She teaches wisdom and kindness to those around her. That maybe if she has children, that's her children. But there, this is a, a household where there are other people in this house. It's a bigger family. It may include servants. She teaches wisdom and kindness to those around him. She's, she's not idle. Verse 28 continues. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. It continues, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And there we see her impact. She is praised by her children when they grow up. Sometimes it takes a while. I don't know if you've noticed that, but she's praised by her children after they grow up, once they're raised. And she's praised by her husband who sees her as excelling all other women primarily because she's committed to following God. That's what this is saying. And these are amazing traits. And we're probably, we're listening to all this and women are thinking, so this is a woman who does not sleep. She just works around the clock. And I think as you look at these, you realize these are probably traits that she is demonstrating through her entire life. And I'm getting that from her children are raised up to bless her. That happens later. That's not the whole time. And so these are accumulation of traits of this virtuous woman that accumulate over time. And I know some may see, well, this is Old Testament stuff. What's the New Testament? And what's it say? I mean, in New Testament times, we would be describing the trad wife of the Old Testament. You know, what's the New Testament got to say? It's actually the same thing. We see that in many places, including Titus chapter 2. So just a little reminder, Titus is a letter written by Paul to a guy named Titus who was a non-Jewish convert to Christianity. Paul probably led him to Christ, but we know Paul sends him to this island in the Mediterranean called Crete. And he sends him there and he tells him, hey, build up the church and set it in order and help people understand what God wants them to do and how to act because they're, they're pagans. And so Paul writes them to instruct these different people, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And so these instructions through the guide of the Holy Spirit, they're very self-explanatory. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining them. Just listen, you'll get it. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women. 
Okay, so one of their jobs is teach and encourage young women, but now we hear the instructions to the young women. That they may encourage young women, and the specific instructions, to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And that last part we'll unpack next week. But the whole point of this, because it's getting ready to end here, how's this, how's this phrase in, in this chapter and in this entire book? Why do this? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's why. That's why. Sometimes, and maybe it's just because I'm a guy and there may not be any truth to it, I think women sometimes hear these challenges from Scripture and, and it impacts them in, in their heart a little more than it does men. And, and of course, we're reminded, or I'll remind you, that there are no perfect women. You already know there's no perfect men, but I'm saying there are no perfect women. Scripture's telling us there are no perfect people. But God gives us instructions and direction to be the best men and specifically the best women that we can be, that God's created us to be. So ladies, whether you're single or married, whether you're mothers or not mothers, God will give you the strength to be the woman that you need to be. Follow God first. Turn to him. He will give you the strength and the wisdom that you need. He'll give you everything you need to be who he wants you to be. And, and one more thing. When I throw out a statistic, like, hey, last Sunday, seven, last Sunday, 50 people, over 50 people, indicated that they were trusting in Christ for the first time, believing in Jesus. It's Jesus that builds his church. But the way Jesus builds the church, women are indispensable to the mission of Jesus. So when you hear a stat like that, just know women, the women of grace, the ladies that attend here at Grace, who do ministry, who encourage others, you are who God uses to make that happen. We have a lot of men in our church, and that happens too. But I'm saying, women are indispensable to the ministry of the local church and seeing people come to Christ. So before we close in song, I'd like to lead you and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for your instructions for us, so that we can be whoever you've called us to be. And Lord, we know that we will have strength and wisdom to do that to the extent that we follow you 
and tap into your wisdom and receive your strength. And Father, we pray specifically today for the women, the ladies that are here at Grace in this room right now, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that you would give them direction, even if they're in difficult circumstances, to be exactly who they should be at every time and in every circumstance. Lord, help them. And Father, we thank you, we all thank you, for the godly women in our lives and how they've impacted us, how you've impacted us through them. Thank you, Lord. Help us to never forget that. Help us to honor our mothers. Help us to honor, help us men, to honor our wives. Help us to teach our children how ladies should be respected. And God, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus that makes all this possible. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.